through the book of Psalms. And so I invite you to turn over there with me to Psalm 106. And part of the grid through which I'm thinking about what psalm to preach from is considering the different kinds of psalms we find in Scripture. And one of the kinds of psalms we find in Scripture is actually historical psalms, psalms that tell a little bit about the past history of God's people. And that's what we're going to find in Psalm 106. And it's a long psalm, so I'm not going to actually read all of it. I'm just going to read a portion of it. But in this psalm, we're going to see the beginnings of the history of God's people. It begins in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you see them, when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance and give it praise. All that sounds good and wonderful, and now we get to some of the ugly past of God's people. Starting with verse 6, the psalmist writes, We have sinned, even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries, and no one survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. This is the word of God. You are seated this morning. We do have Kingdom Kids today. So we invite all of our kiddos in the sanctuary if they would like to participate in our Kingdom Kids ministry. Those who are four years old through second grade can head to the foyer now. And they'll be met by our Kingdom Kids workers who will take them over to our education building downstairs. Where our children have Bible study. And they'll have an opportunity to learn and worship there at their level. And they're going to have a great time. And parents, don't forget to pick them up after service. Sinners in need of a Savior. 
you don't understand or that, you know, don't quite make sense to you, that seem odd or interesting, just expect to be surprised. And I think one of the things that's so surprising is that this psalm even exists because it's not telling a beautiful history of God's people. The faithfulness of Abraham, the challenges that Moses and God's people overcame in Egypt and through the desert, and the prosperity in the new kingdom, and the, the faithfulness of David, and so on and so forth. The, the Bible doesn't just tell us the nice, tidy parts of the history of God's people. It tells us the other bits, too. I, for one, am glad, because like you, all of our stories have ugly bits in it. All our histories have parts of it that we wish we could erase. And in fact, if it was up to us, we would do it, right? If we could take a little, you know, magic erase marker thingy, one of those, you know, you ever use those little white sponge thingies that make everything clean? They're magic little sponges. You ever use one of those? Or just an eraser in general. You just like, you don't know what I'm talking about. You should get some. They work great. But we would do that. If we could hit delete on the keyboard of our life, there would be some things in our past that we would get rid of, right? This is the, this is the incredible thing about God's word and that one of the psalms exists is that it not only records it, it records it in the psalms. What are the psalms? Corporate prayer book and song book of God's people. Psalms to be prayed, psalms to be sung. Not only did they put the ugly part of their history in the Bible, they sang about it. But it tells me something important that I think we ought to consider this morning. First of all, it begins with an individual call upon God. The psalmist himself is calling upon God for help. He says, remember me, Lord, in verse 4, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation. And join your inheritance in giving praise. So you can say this is the story, the history of one person. But it's not. The personal plea actually turns at the end to a collective plea. At the end of the psalm, we read in verse 47, Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give the that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. So it's not just an individual's history, it's a collective history. It's not just an individual's plea for God's salvation and help, it's a collective plea for God's salvation and help. And it's not buried, it's sung about. Nothing bad ever stays buried. We may want to bury the past, but it's actually the very worst thing Remind me a little bit about Nazi Germany. If you know anything about Nazi Germany, you know that they have made it uh, part of their uh, life.
ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and then they rebelled. What got them into trouble was their forgetfulness. Verse 13, but soon they forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Verse 21, they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. You know, the history of the Israelites, they find themselves in Egypt and soon they're enslaved and they're enslaved for hundreds of years. And then God raised up someone named Moses to deliver them out of that slavery in Egypt. They get out into the wilderness and they haven't yet entered into a land that was promised to them, which we call the promised land. They had not entered into this promised land that would be their land, a place for them to live, a home of their own. They're waiting to enter in. And you go from freedom from oppression in Egypt to rebellion as they wait to enter into the promised land in the desert. One of the things that comes up in the story of them wandering around in the desert God gave them was not good enough. It wasn't enough to have manna from heaven, these little wafers that would show up mysteriously in the morning on the ground that they would harvest enough for the day and then that would be their food, but, but they wanted meat too. They wanted, understandably so, something with more substance to enjoy. So not only are they forgetting what God had already done, but now instead of, list, instead of listening to their heart and what God had done for them, now they're listening to their stomach. Verse 14, we read that in the desert they gave in to their cravings. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. It was never good enough what God did for them. They always wanted more from God. And as verse 13 says, they did not wait on him to deliver on his promises. So they're forgetful of what God has done. They want more than God is currently offering. Not only that, but those that God had placed in authority over them, they rebelled against. Verse 16, in the camp they grew envious of Moses who was leading them, and Moses' brother Aaron who was helping lead the people. If you flip over to verse 32, you see that by the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord and trouble came to Moses because of them. If you go back and read the history of the people wandering in the desert, you'll see that back against Moses and the leadership in the desert. One of the most egregious things they did, forgetting God, listening to their stomach, not listening to those God had placed in leadership but rebelling against them, is they began to exchange God for idols. If you read verse 19, it says, At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God. Listen to this. They exchanged their glorious God for the image of a bull. Back then, what you would do, it's their understanding in the world at that time, is that there's a God attached to everything. What do you need to live? You need crops to live. How do you get crops? They have to grow. How do they grow? You 
battle, if you could just appease the gods, then you would be prospering. And so that's what they did. But see, God had called them out of that system, beginning with Abraham. Say, I've got a different way for you to live with me. I'm not going to make you guess what I expect. I'm going to lay it out black and white, clear as can be. I'm going to share with you my commands and how I expect you to live a relationship with me. But, particularly in the wilderness, and then even after entering into the promised land, God's people began to say, you know what? I kind of like the old system. Because those old gods I could control, right? If I give enough, they'll bless me. I get to be in control of the old religious system. Let's just go back to that. And in fact, when they entered into the promised land, as we'll see, in verse 35, they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. And what did they do? They began to worship their idols, and those idols became a snare to them. Now that sounds bad enough that the God creator who made you, now you have rejected for idols made with human hands. That sounds bad enough, right? God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt and given you this beautiful promised land and, and you've just left them in the dust for these other idols. I mean, that, that sounds bad enough, but you have to understand this, this old religious system was terrifyingly ugly. How much can you give to the gods to get from them what you need from them? You just have to keep giving. Even to the point of sacrificing your own children to these gods. And believe it or not, that's what they did in the ancient world. They would sacrifice their own children to the gods of the sun and the rain and the crops and fertility and so on and so forth to appease the gods that they may be prosperous. Can you believe that they would, they would do that? But they did. God says, you need to get all these people out of here. You need to wipe them all out. You can't have anything to do with them. Because as soon as you did, as soon as you do, that whole old religious system that I brought your forefather Abraham out of, you will fall back into. They didn't believe it. So they disobeyed God. And what do they do? It's one of the most terrible verses in the Bible, I think, in verse 27. Sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, verse 38, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. That was the land that they had entered. And that's what the people of Canaan did. And that's exactly what God did not want them to do. It's one of the incredible messages that you get from the scriptures. Is that God does not require the sacrifice of your sons and daughters. He's the one that gives the sacrifice of his own son. That you might be right with him. That's what God does. But does not expect of us. Well they had rejected God. They exchanged God. For idols. They did not believe God's promises. They disobeyed God. And in verse 33 we read that they rebelled against the Spirit of God. With all that said, it comes as no surprise that God is upset with them, right? And I think this is an important thing to point out because we see it right here in the Scripture. I know I'm not covering every single verse in this psalm. You've already read it this week as part of your 
does that mean that he's okay with it? No. God is rightly angry at our sin. Does that mean that he doesn't care? No, he does care. Does that mean he won't punish? No, he does punish. He does discipline because he cares. Ask any parent here. A parent who never gives discipline to their children is not loving their child appropriately. That child needs discipline. They need consequences. We all know that. It is certainly no different with us and God. But the fact remains is as much as we struggle to be faithful to God, we never have to wonder if God will be faithful to us. Also, 
willing to. I'm going to forgive them all. God says, I'm not going to just do this one time. I'm going to do this for all time. God says, not only that, but you know, sin has ruined your reputation with me. I'm going to improve that reputation. I'm going to give you the reputation of a perfect son or daughter in my family. That's what I'm going to do. All your sins forgiven. And now a right relationship is a perfect child of mine restored. And you don't have to do anything. You can't earn this. This is a gift. Remember, it's a gift. You can only receive it. He holds out that gift to us. Now, you understand, that gift is far more valuable than any other gift. You exchange a thousand gifts for this one gift because it has high value. And so you look at that gift and you say, how could you afford this gift, God? I could never purchase this gift. How did you purchase this gift on my behalf? And the hope of God's people from the Old Testament until fulfilled into the New is this one truth is that God purchased the gift for us. This is what Jesus is doing. They believed that they would even have to sacrifice their own children to make God happy with them. And God says, no, I will sacrifice my child
not every sermon is for every person, every